guys, live and underway here on ESPN Plus alongside Hercules Gomez. I am Sebi Salazar. Herc, how are you doing after your travels, your your quick trip in and out to Arizona? How was it? I had major FOMO, I have to admit. Yeah, uh, it was good. I'm a little tired, a little mm-hmm, hungry, mm-hmm. a little cranky. All right, um, you sound like my baby at home. I got in today. By the way, how is that going? Uh, you can't tell from the bags under my eyes uh, how it's going. It's going great, Herc. It's uh, it's going great. I'm getting about as much sleep as you did on the on the quick turnaround from Arizona. Of course, you were there with Mauricio Pedrosa, our good friend. Great coverage on Ahora Nunca. I got to see the show. Looked great. Excellent new graphics package on Ahora Nunca. If you didn't have appreciate enough reasons it. to watch the show, I appreciate uh, definitely that. check it out. Plenty of reasons to watch this show, Herc. Uh, we got Mark Ogden coming up a little bit later on. We're going to check in on some... Americans abroad, both on the field and off the field uh, in England and beyond. We've got news of a World Cup hosting bid, which could bring another major tournament to these shores. You have an interview or had one with John Herdman uh, last week, so we'll listen into that. And then we got some fun stuff as well. Trippin' or trippin', book it, and an incredible top 10 goals that I'm told Hercules Gomez picked on his own. But let's start with the reason, Herc. Mm-mm. You were in Arizona. No, no, it's beneath you. I know that far beneath you. USA, Mexico. What are we calling this? The uh, continental. The Classico. Okay. The uh, captain's out there getting the message about the homophobic chant before the game. Early on in this one, chance for the United States. Jordan Morse almost gets there. Acevedo off his line. Yeah, ends up going off Julian Araujo, Acevedo Araujo, a little communication issue there. And then it's Luis Chavez give and go. And oh, goes wide of Sean Johnson's goal. 20 minutes in, Mexico with their first real good opportunity. Scoreless Uh-oh. at the half. Uh-oh. And here's where it all comes apart for the U.S. Uriel Antuna picking off the pass, takes it away from Aaron Long. One-on-one with Sean Johnson, one nothing Mexico. Just an insane air by Kellen Acosta. 30-yard square ball. Aaron Long makes a mess of it as well. Can't clear it. Uriel Antuna, 1v1 with Sean Johnson. I'll take that. Thank you very much. Free kick, Luis Chavez saw that at the World Cup. Didn't miss by much there. 70th minute, nearly finding a second for Mexico. That would be a theme for most of the second half. 73rd minute, Roberto de la Rosa, Sean Johnson with the save on that one. Yeah, Mexico keeps pressing on. And then look at this right here. It's going to be a nice little shot. It's swerving away from the goal. Chiqui Sanchez, right there, Chiquito Sanchez. Sean Johnson, a little bit of worry. 81st minute, Mexico. Looking for their second, Charlie Rodriguez, crossbar. And that is going to come back to haunt Mexico. Why? I would say the ensuing play, but in soccer, there is no ensuing play. The same play, Serginho Des cutting people up. The U.S. on the counter. Ball makes its way to Jordan Morris. He feeds it across. Jesus Ferreira hurt the final touch. Lethal in transition. Lethal in transition. Quaresma with the pass. I'm sorry, Jordan Morris with the pass to Jesus Ferreira. And then... Is there a shot right here? A shot for a penalty kick right here? Ociel Herrera playing as a nine. Playing as a nine right there. A little bit of contact. Play on. No, that's a penalty, Herc. What do you think? I say penalty. Here's your post-game reaction. Pero también pasaron muchas cosas muy buenas. Y vuelvo a repetir lo mismo. Y no me voy a cansar de decirlo. Sigo mirando el vaso medio lleno y me parece, no me parece no. Y estoy convencido que hubieron muchísimas cosas muy buenas. Empezando por la personalidad del equipo. Cuando uno tiene un día y medio para trabajar con el equipo hay que tratar de ser muy específico, trabajar pocas cosas y las pocas cosas que se trabajaron salieron muy bien. Y estuvimos a la altura, 
tuvimos personalidad, manejamos el juego, tuvimos situación de gol, pero en líneas generales fuimos superiores. Vuelvo a repetir, vos ves el vaso medio, lleno, medio vacío, yo lo veo medio lleno, ¿sí? Hoy fuimos superiores, ¿sí? Con Jamaica nos pegó, pegamos dos pelotas en los travesaños, hoy pegamos una. Eso no lo podemos manejar. Pero si seguimos insistiendo y seguimos con esta personalidad y seguimos trabajando, van a venir los resultados. Tranquilo que vamos bien. Mexico manager Diego Coca's words after the 75th all-time meeting between these two teams ends in a 1-1 draw. That's now five straight unbeaten for the United States against Mexico. Herc, you were one of the privileged few. You were there to witness it live. What was your big takeaway from the payday in the desert? The payday in the desert, I like that. And it was a payday, sold out crowd. Well, I shouldn't say sold out. It was 55,000 plus okay. in Arizona. Very good number for a mm -hmm. meaningless friendly on a non-FIFA fixture date. So you would assume, well, you would have prioritized looking at certain players, prioritized changing things. This is what I get out of it. They took this game seriously in a way where neither coach wanted to lose. I know that sounds mm. obvious. That sounds obvious. Nobody wants to lose, but listen to this for a second. The Mexican national team had five players that played in the World Cup in their starting 11. Mm. Five of those players played meaningful minutes, really meaningful minutes in the World Cup. The U.S. men's national team had seven players in their starting lineup. Maybe only two of them had meaningful minutes in Serginho Dest and Walker Zimmerman, but still, you prioritize, in your view, your strongest lineups. Mexico only made two subs. Two subs, Seb. It shows you just where they're at. I don't understand why you needed on both sides to see much of the same. What would Diego Coca, what would um, uh, Anthony Hudson get out of prioritizing a look at the same exact players? Neither coach wanted to lose, so that's, that's my big takeaway here is mm. what I saw. The, the lack of actual gameplay involvement from some of the younger players, some of the players they've not seen, they just threw them by the wayside. I feel like it was a real missed opportunity for Mexico, right? There were two or three chances. You saw it in the highlight there to put this game away, and Mexico didn't do it. And I think that would have been very valuable from just a standpoint of from like a Mexico fan, almost a, a palate cleanser, right? Yeah. You could have snapped the winning streak or the, the win-less streak that you have against the United States. You could have broken their unbeaten streak. And on top of that, as a fan, it would have at least somewhat change the dynamic of this rivalry going into the summer, which we know is going to be huge. I think the performance itself from Mexico is actually good. I wouldn't go so far as great, but it was good. But it's a terrible, terrible result because you once again prove that you can't do two critical things, which Mexico needs to figure out. You can't beat the United States even when they don't have their A team. It's the second time that's happened now in the last five. Go back to the Gold Cup in 2021. Uh, and Herc, on top of that, You're proving that this team can't finish, not just the chances, but the game itself. And if you can't finish games, if you can't see opponents off, whether it's the United States or not, it's going to be a lot of the same old, same old that we saw in the last cycle for Diego Coca's Mexico. For, so for, for me, you can look at the performance and find some positives, which is kind of what he's saying. And there but are. You, have to feel, you have to feel, I think, really bad about the result. On the other hand, for the U.S., I think the U.S. has to feel great about the result and maybe not so good about the performance, especially some of the individual performances. But I give all these guys a little bit of a pass, Herc, because it's not the A-team. It's not a FIFA date. 
And to that end, I wonder, like, how many more of these games we're going to see? What's the value of this to kind of what you were getting at before? We don't have the World Cup qualifiers. I'll seed that between U.S. and Mexico. We no longer have those guarantees. But we have Nations League. It's, it's likely you could see each other there. We have Gold Cup. It's likely you could see each other there. We have all these other tournaments now that are popping up, Copa America, potentially something in 2025, where USA and Mexico could meet. How often do we need a USA-Mexico friendly, Herc? And how often do we need one outside of a FIFA date? You wouldn't need one outside of a FIFA date. And these friendlies are never friendlies-ish. Yesterday was mm -hmm. as friendly-ish or insignificant as I've seen a game between U.S. and Mexico in quite some time. Maybe 2000, um, what was it, 15? Uh, mm. That era, the last time in Allodome, I think it was, the last time I really recalled a, a game that didn't matter too much that was these type of sides. Just very quickly, why these mm -hmm. games should matter if you're Mexico. If you look at the starting lineup for Mexico, take out Nestor Araujo, everybody else I fully expect in that starting lineup to be in the World Cup in 2026, you maybe cannot say that for the U.S. men's national team. This was a real opportunity for Diego Coca to get a look at some guys and maybe introduce some players. Uh, he didn't do that. That's a lost opportunity. But, but you're right. The U.S. will probably feel better at the result in their play. Yeah. But Mexico the had their chances. Mexico had their chances. I, I gave on Aurora and Chronometro and SportsCenter and a few other shows yesterday a 3-1 verdict that I thought Mexico would win 3-1. You look at the expected goals. You look at the chances that they had. It could have easily been a 3-0, 3-1 scoreline. But they should really lament the fact that they, when, they, when they were most dangerous, it came back to bite them in transition. And that's going to happen in a tournament setting. Just to finish up the point on the rivalry, we talk about USA-Mexico getting watered down. A friendly A-team versus A-team, you can make the claim you're not watering it down. But when it's B-team versus B-team or less than, then you truly are watering it down. Real quick, Herc, because you were there, and it's something that we have talked a lot about around this Mexican national team, the chant, yeah. the homophobic chant that has followed this team for now, multiple World Cup cycles. Did you hear it in the stadium in Arizona? Yeah, we heard it. We heard it a few times. Uh, Mauricio mm. Pedrosa was sitting next to me, and he pointed it out the first time, which is mm -hmm. you could hear it a little faint. It wouldn't come out on television the second time. You can absolutely hear it. I don't know if you heard it from the television set where you were at, but you can definitely hear the homophobic chant. Yeah, Mauricio tweeted that he heard it for the first time in the 49th minute. There had been some discussion kind of leading into this game that U.S. soccer has on their books that they could ban Mexico from playing in the U.S. for up to two years over this chant. Before we get to a two-year ban, Herc, I think we got to see a stoppage of a game, an ending of a game. Then we'll know that they're escalating this. But right now, it kind of feels like we always, we always get to the same place with this discussion. We hear the chant. We forget about it for a few months. And the next time it comes up, there's talk of more sanctions. But there's never really anything that happens. They didn't stop it. They didn't stop it last night, did they? No, they didn't stop it last night. But they're not going to sanction themselves. This was run by. This is promoted by U.S. Soccer. So when they send out that, I guess, if you will, statement, they're talking about the some games, which are when Mexico comes plays mm -hmm. in the states. They're not talking about their games. They're going to try to do their best. But Concacaf has not been able to do it. FIFA has not been able to do it. So having U.S. Soccer try to police it themselves, it's going to be very difficult. Yeah. 2015, Herc, the first time the Mexican Federation was fined over this chant. Let's get to some of the individual performances with a stock up 
stock down. Herc, we'll start on the American side of things, and we'll start on the positive. Give me a stock up from the U.S. men's national team game against Mexico last night. So I didn't want to give a stock up for the U.S. men's national team. I thought the performances were, were pretty bad individually, mm -hmm. unless we're talking about the players who came off the bench. But the starters, per se, were pretty dire. But then I thought about it. No, there is a stock up. There's a stock up, and I criticize Sergio Dest a lot. Sergio Dest, who looked lacking in confidence, who only touched the ball 41 times. One of the best players on the field, biggest resumes on the field. Barcelona, mm. Milan, played at Ajax, already a World Cup under him. Had teams like PSG, Bayern Munich, uh, looking for his services, and he touches it 41 times as an outside back. He didn't look like he wanted the ball. He didn't look like he wanted to be there. He looked disinterested until he wasn't. Until he reminded himself what Sergio Desk can do when he mm -hmm. has the ball at his feet. And in one play, in one single play, may have not saved the season, but given himself the spark to go back to Europe and lift himself out of that purgatory, which he is in right now with Milan. So I went stock up for Sergio individually. I didn't okay. really like his play, per se, throughout the 90 minutes because I think his, the bar he has set for himself, he did not meet that. But in that play, I think that muscle memory may kick in. So I gave him a stock up there. I wonder how much of that was Russ, because I'm with you that for most of the game, he yeah. didn't really, you know, look like the player that we expect. But you see that magic right there. It feels like the stock up is basically down to that. I'm following you on Twitter. You said this is the least confidence you've seen from death since 2019. So obviously, that's kind of what you thought of him uh, when until this play. When skinned him in New Jersey. I wasn't going to mention it. You did. Uh, a couple other guys I thought were okay. Uh, James Sands and Sonia off the bench I thought was, was, was pretty decent. Aiden Morris was problems? decent as well. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of people excited yeah. about him. All right, that's a positive, Herc. We found, we found some positives. Uh, let's get to the negative. Who's your stock down here? Who are you picking? So I'm a firm believer in Kellen Acosta and who he is and the like for like when you don't have Tyler Adams. You need a player like Kellen Acosta. So this one to me was glaring. It's Kellen Acosta. I expect a lot more out of Kellen Acosta. He didn't seem his usual spry self. He almost seemed like he was a little tired. Mental mistakes. Giving the ball away for a six is murder. It's not what you want to do. You want to take care of the ball. You saw where the goal came from, Uriel Antuna. It's a square ball, 30 yards, that you're going across the field. You put Aaron Long in a very compromising position. Yes, Aaron Long could have cleared the ball, could have done anything he could have besides try to play out of that. He tries playing out of that. And it's route one, Uriel Antuna, one of the faster players for Mexico and they come down your throat that way. But Kellen Acosta needs to be a better player. Kellen Acosta has shown that he can be a better player. Kellen Acosta right now has the luxury of being the only like-for-like -like player right now in the pool when it comes for, or as close as like-to-like -like as you can get to Tyler Adams. So this was disheartening for me. I'm a big believer in Kellen Acosta, and at one point he was the next big thing to go to Europe. It didn't work out for him, but you could still think he'd be a, a Utah player and uh, what is this pool? He, he's not shown that. He didn't show that in Arizona. Yeah, it's expectations at this level, right? You, you figure a guy of his pedigree would do well if not dominate at this level. I thought somebody who would do very well at this level was Brandon Vasquez. I, I thought he would be better, Herc. I felt a little bit disappointed in his performance, especially given the opportunity there at number nine. I wonder what you thought of Jesus Ferreira before the goal, because I think obviously if one play can change your opinion of Sergio Dest, I'm sure the same can be said for Jesus Ferreira. Yeah, before the goal, it's a difficult position because 
when you look at what's going on as the ball's moving around and why they're not creative, why they have no nothing going forward in the final third, you look at the expected goals, it was abysmal. It was the worst showing offensively that they had since 2018 versus France, that Dave Sarekin side. There was nobody to kind of interlink, to kind of drive the ball forward, a Musa, Weston McKinney, a Luca De La Torre with vision. They didn't have that. So he was trying to be that, pick it up in between pockets, but there was nobody to play with. He looked a little lost in there. But to his credit, he got a goal. And you mm-hmm. can say whatever you want about it. Jesus Ferreira, and there are many who will say, and I'm not, mm-hmm. and I'm not somebody who was a fan of him playing the game he played against the Netherlands in the World Cup, but he seems to be productive when he gets a chance for both club and country. And at the rate he's going right now in club, he could be in Europe soon. So you want a player like him to succeed when he gets chances. It's just the eye test. Not necessarily he's past it, but he's got, he's got the stats. And uh, just because I know people are screaming at their television screens right now, we should probably mention Aaron Long didn't have his best night either. Let's get to Mexico, Herc. Stock up, stock down. We will start again with that three on the positive side. And I'm going Luis Chavez. Now, this one was pretty obvious to me. To me, he was the best player on the field, not only for Mexico, but of all 22 players. He is really, really good. It's not just that magical left foot. It's the speed. It's the speed at which he plays. It's the speed at which he thinks. It almost looks like a player who is a level above everybody else. His passes to other Mexican national team players are so crisp sometimes, it feels like they're not ready to receive them. This player to me last night absolutely proves he belongs in Mexico's starting midfield and absolutely proves, her he is ready for Europe. I am so desperate for Luis Chavez to get out of Liga Mekis. He's 27 years old, and if this player doesn't make the move to Europe, it is a damning indictment of Mexican soccer. Not of the player, because he has all the goods to do it. We saw that last night. But of Mexican soccer, I cannot believe he's not in Europe yet. Yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm glad you recognize that he was the best player on the field, and I, I'm with you. Last night, he was head and shoulders above everybody else. And it starts everybody. with what is above the shoulders, uh, in between the ears. He, he's very intelligent in the way he goes about things. But he's not one of these players that takes time off. He's not one of these guys that says, I'm an offensive player. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. do the dirty work. Him and Chiqui Sanchez, Chiquito Sanchez, yep. they did very well. They played together at Pachuca, so it was muscle memory. Uh, it was box-to-box. Uh, box. I, I thought he was commanding the midfield. He was doing very well, pushing the team forward. I spoke to him after the game. Feyenoord has been knocking on that door. Dennis Tecosa keeps knocking on that door. They're insistent. It could be a matter of time until we see this player in Europe. Wow. Could you imagine him and Santi Jimenez? Whew, what a, or, or him and Pepe? Potentially, if Pepe makes a move there, uh, very, very uh, interesting. A couple other guys I had mentioned, uh, or I had written down here, uh, Charlie Rodriguez and your guy, Uriel Antuna. I know, I know you'll be bitter if I don't mention Uriel Antuna, who I have not always been the biggest fan of, but who did have a Can a you good just game. recognize how productive he is, please? The most productive. Are you a big, are you a big Tecatito yeah. fan? Are you a big Tecatito mm-hmm. fan? Yeah. You like Tecatito? Uh, when, he was, when Tecatito was in his prime, yes. Not now. I'm not going to sit here and tell oh, you Tecatito's ahead of Antuna old. now. He's still, well, well, whatever. Let me give you some te- Tecatito stats. He hasn't played in, since he broke his leg, Herc. Come on. Before the World Cup, so six months, okay? So re- let me give you some Tecatito stats. Tecatito, oh. 71 games for Mexico. Mm-hmm. 10 goals, 10 assists. Okay. Uriel Antuna, 42 games for Mexico. 11 goals, 10 assists. Put Uriel Antuna's stats... In the competitions of friendlies, CONCACAF Nations League, World Cup qualifiers, Gold Cup, World Cup, against any winger 
And it's maybe Chucky Lozano that comes close to him. And since it's Uriel Antuna that broke out to the scene in 2019, nobody comes close to him. Goal scored, drawing penalty kicks, being a productive player. Say what you will about the man's style, but the hatred towards him, oh, it's, it's, right. it's a little, it's a little right. dumb. Right. Not saying you're right. dumb. There's there's no, yeah, well, you've said that before. Uh, look, there's no <laughs> hatred towards Antuna. He definitely has his role. He has speed, which nobody else in this Mexican team has anywhere close to in terms of wide players. I don't think he's a starter, Herc. I think if you look at that position, it, it's unrealistic to make the case he's the a starter. I don't understand the hate. You're, you're, leaning, is, on, you're leaning on numbers got, blindly, Herc. Half of those goals come against Bermuda, Cuba, Martinica, and they're before the pandemic. Sebi, look, that's, just, the worst, look. that's the worst take in the world because Chucky, Raul, uh, Henry, they all play against the same teams. You're going to tell so me So you're going to tell me that it only matters for Uriel? Come on, man. Before last night, come on, before man. last night, 25 games for the national team over the last two years, two goals. Wow, what, what productivity. All right. Are you talking about on. Raul Jimenez? Uh, no, I'm talking about your boy, Uriel Antuna. Take, Those are real stats. Take a look at when he broke onto the scene. Nobody scored more goals than him in an open field play. Right. Nobody's right. taken more PKs than him. Shout out Bermuda. Shout out Martinica. We can do this all night. Can United I get to my stop twice. down? Friendlies. 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 The ones you say mean nothing. World Cup qualifiers. CONCACAF Nations League. One goal in a World Cup qualifier, please. Oh, that's not true. Stock down, Herc. Stock down. Goal and assist in his last World Cup qualifier, by the way. For me, Julian Araujo. And this one, this one cuts deep. And again, Herc, I think it comes down to expectations. Now, maybe I'm being unfair for Julian Araujo because my expectations are very much linked to the fact that he's in Europe with Barcelona. We know he's not actually playing for Barcelona. But I would have thought that a player that was practicing at that level and is desperate to make an imprint with the national team would have done more with this opportunity. You have to also acknowledge, her that he is knee-deep in competition at that spot. Jorge Sanchez is starting to turn things around. Kevin Alvarez is going to be a problem at that position for him. Julian Araujo is not going to get a ton of opportunities to start games at right back. And the thing that really frustrated me, Herc, about last night is that he was playing effectively in a wing-back role, and the final ball, the service, the thing I would think that at Barcelona he'd be picking up wasn't there. It needs to be there, especially if he's going to play that role. You are harsh, man. You, you expect a lot of the, the guys who are playing their first games with the Mexican national team, but a player like Jesus Gallardo, who's already played two World Cups, didn't even look like he should belong on the field. He crossed the ball twice, never went forward. But you single out Julian Araujo? Mm-hmm. Your expectations are, are, are something else. Right. Uh, there was a couple others who probably could have been uh, picked on. Victor Guzman for the mistake on, on the goal at the end. Tough one. Facing his own and goal. Yeah. Roberto de la Rosa, you know, this is not a criticism of a guy, just a guy who shouldn't be there. In his career, he has fewer goals than Brandon Vasquez had last season at FC Cincinnati. So as much as we say this Mexico team was better than the U.S., just that comparison at the number nine spot gives you an idea of, of how difficult it was going to be last night for Mexico to score despite all the pressure Just very uh, and quickly, chances that they created. Just very quickly, 10 seconds on, on Roberto de la Rosa. It's, it's a symptom of how far down Mexican players are yeah. in that number, number nine position in Liga Mekis. On our show out on Nunca yesterday, Mauricio Imai asked a Mexican national team fan about Roberto de la Rosa. Had no idea who he was, and nobody would blame him. Nobody would blame him. He's, yeah. he's not scored many goals or cemented himself as a starter in Pachuca, let alone the Mexican national team. And that's a fan, by the way, who paid a ticket to go watch the national team. It's not some guy on the street, right? So, yes. um, yeah, has, hasn't made much of an impact. Chicharito out there lurking, waiting for anybody to call him up if they're interested. 
Uh, let's run it back. And we'll start in Turkey, Herc. Ah, before we run it back, here's an upcoming schedule for the United States and Mexico. Of course, the uh, big showdown in Las Vegas, Thursday, June 15th in the CONCACAF Nations League semifinals. Cannot wait. Now, time to run it back, Kurt. And we do start in Turkey. Haji Wright scored not once, but twice Wednesday as Antalya Spor drew 3-3 with Istanbul Spur. 15 goals in Turkey was at fourth best in the Turkish league. He needs to make a move. I fully expect a move to be made. The question is, in Turkey with one of those giants or elsewhere? You mentioned the 15 league goals this season. That's one more than his total for last season, but he's done it in 10 fewer games. Antalya Sport squarely mid-table at 11th. Championship on ESPN+. Plus. We got a goalie assist alert. Zach Steffen for Middlesbrough against Hull City. Look at that, dishing out dimes. A little defensive mistake there. Can't let the player get inside you like that, but just pings it across. Picks up. Is that his first assist? You know, I know Tim Howard had a few assists in his career, even a goal, by the way. Mm -hmm. Middlesbrough, 3-1 winners, fourth in the table, 11 points from falling out of the promotion playoffs. So it looks like they're gonna be a lock to at least fight for the last to get into the Premier League. Speaking of, we got a showdown of US goalies. Zach Steffen and Middlesbrough taking on Ethan Horvath and Ludentown, third versus fourth place in the championship. That's next Monday at 2.55 p.m. Eastern time, right here on ESPN+. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Joining us next on Football Americas, our colleague Mark Ogden. Mark, great to have you with us on the show, and thanks for staying up late with us. I know it's, uh, what, five hours further on where you are? Yeah, it's not too late here, Seb. It's only nearly 10 o'clock, so I've just been watching the Man United game in the Europa League, so uh, you've probably done me a Ooh. favor getting me away from that. It's a bit of a mess at the moment, that game. <laughs> That's right. Uh, that's Harry right. Perfect McGuire. opportunity, Mark, to uh, to have you here and discuss Americans. I was going to say in the Premier League, but really all over British football. Usually we would start with, with players, but I think we got to start with owners because they're getting more headlines of late. Let's start with Chelsea, Todd Bowling. I just wonder what's the reaction been to everything that's happening at the club, especially the pregame speech that he apparently gave the team ahead of the Real Madrid game? Look, I mean, Todd Bowling's come in and he 
has been everything that you would not want an American owner to be in the sense that you know the game has moved on so much in the US and it's, it's a really competitive nation now but Todd Bowley kind of ticks all the old stereotypical boxes about an, an American that doesn't understand the game and he's come on and he's made he's made so many mistakes the first mistake sacking Thomas Tuchel the second mistake hiring Graham Potter now we could argue that his first mistake was wasting so much money in the summer but everything he does seems to be a bad decision based on a lack of knowledge or lack of experience and you know going into the dressing room at the weekend I think that was probably the least of his problems because you know I know from, from experience at Chelsea going the past 20 years Roman Abramovich would often go in the dressing room and say his piece or congratulate or tell players off or pull the manager up but it's not that unusual but I do think that Todd Bowley doesn't really know what he's doing right now and he's, he's making a mess of everything and he's got to find a new manager soon and do we trust him to do that and get that right? First off, it's not unusual, and it's also in their right. He's the owner. That said, I've been in situations as a player when the owner comes in, and you absolutely know he has no idea what's going on. He has no idea what he's mm -hmm. talking about. All he's putting up is the money, which is fair and fine, but players can see through that. Players know when a coach, or excuse me, when an owner is invested enough to actually know what's going on, so that could be counterproductive in itself. Staying on owners, Augie. The Glazers. What's going on with Manchester United? Are the Glazers, are the Glazers going to sell or not? What, what's the latest? Well, I did a start at the start of the week saying that I'd heard that the Glazers are, are confident that certainly Joel and Avram, uh, there's obviously six siblings, and Joel and Avram are the two, you know, the, the two public-facing siblings at Old Trafford. They're the guys that have been the co-chairman that have been around. They're the people that you see in the director's box when they turn up, which isn't very often. But they want to retain control whereas the other four Glazers, Kevin, Edward, Darcy and Brian, are quite happy to offload their stake. So they're encouraging outside investment from, um, I think there's four US-based hedge funds that are involved. So right now, it looks like there's, the, the, Avi and Joel have got a chance to be propped up by hedge funds, which is the, the fans' worst nightmare because the fans want them out. They've, they've been in charge of United for 18 years now. And, you know, the team, as we're seeing against Sevilla tonight, uh, are not good enough and the stadium at Old Trafford has is, is, is been neglected over the years to the point where it's not even on the shortlist to host a game at Euro 2028 if, if England or the, the UK get the bid Old Trafford won't host a game because it's not fit for hosting games it's the biggest stadium in England but it's not been touched for 20 years nearly so you know the Glazers are basically they, they've run their race at Old Trafford but they want to stay on certainly Joel and Avery does so yes there are offers on the table from Qatar and from Jim Radcliffe, Britain's richest man, but I'm being told that Avi and Joel particularly want to explore every possibility that will enable them to stay at the club and borrow money to rebuild the stadium and just stay there because they think, you know, in six, seven, eight years down the line, that it might not be a £5 billion club, but a £10 billion club. So they're just holding on as long as they can. All right, we're focused on American owners that are not fan favorites. Uh, what about some North American owners that very much are fan favorites? You know I'm talking about Wrexham. Augie, this has kind of become your beat, which I think, you know, if you think about the platform, the size of ESPN, it, it, it talks about the success of this project. You've been there a couple times in recent weeks. Tell us what it's like and maybe how it compares to the product we see on TV. Well, it's, it's an incredible story, isn't it? It's, it's a real feel-good story, and I think... The one thing that Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney, I can't even say his name, McElhenney, I better learn how to say that properly, haven't I? I've been saying that a lot in the next few years. 
what what they have done they've done it with a smile on the face and they've done it little things like putting money behind the bar at the local pub for the fans to celebrate the wins and just doing everything right taking on board what the fans want not not doing stupid things that upset the fans and they've really embraced it they, they've admitted from the off they're not fo- that they weren't football fans they didn't know the game and they've admitted that they've actually they love the game there they bought into it so i think the fans have really bought into the fact that they are so honest and genuine now they've got this team that are scored over 100 points in the National League so far. They're going to go up this weekend. If they beat Boreham Wood at home, they'll be promoted to the EFL. They were relegated from the EFL in 2008. Now, I've been speaking to fans at the club this week who said that back then, they had owners who wanted to bulldoze the ground. They wanted to bulldoze the ground and build a warehouse there. So these guys have come in and they're basically promising the earth and they're delivering it. So it's a really good story. And yes, it has become my beat. And there's going to be three Wrexham games in two weeks for me. So, But I have to say, I was at the game against Tamworth two years ago, the very first game which they played under the ownership, and it was I think it was about eighteen hundred people there. And Tamworth had a Tamworth played at a ground called the Lamb. It was named after the pub next door. This is the level we're talking about. It's kind of it really, really is grassroots. But they've just done it so well and I think yeah, there'll be people upset because they spent a lot of money and the clubs in the, the National League can't compete. But you know, Wrexham is a club with a with potential. You know, they're going to be build a new stand that's going to become a 15,000-seat stadium. They'll fill that every week because, you know, I suppose guys in, in the US now understand about Wrexham, but they kind of represent an area that's got one football team, and that's Wrexham. The whole of North Wales, you basically got, you've got Liverpool and Everton 50 miles away, and that is it. So it's got a massive area of potential. So they can go from 15,000 to 20,000, 25,000. And, you know, we look at teams like Bournemouth in the Premier League who get 12, 13,000, no real history. You know, Wrexham could quite easily get to that level with the right investment, with the right decisions, because they have a fan base that can grow with the club. So, so I expect them to be boring one at the weekend and get back at the EFL. And then from that point on, they really can go as far as they want to. Augie, they're very popular here in, in the States and in North America, obviously because of the ownership, Hollywood, etc. But just how popular are they in Europe? Well, they're definitely popular in Wrexham. And I think, in, I think to be honest, they haven't really caught on in, in England or Europe as much until the last three or four weeks when it's been clear that they're going to get promoted. And I think that, that has helped, but I don't think they've got the same, I won't say celebrity, but the same kind of cachet as they do in the US because obviously the, the, the hugely famous people in the US, always sitting in Philadelphia, Rob McElhenney, it's not really a thing in, in the UK, but obviously we know who Ryan, Ryan Reynolds is. But they are getting that kind of coverage now. When I was at the game against Notts County, which was that ridiculous game where they won 3-2 and Ben Foster saved a penalty in the 96th minute, there were, there were kind of newspapers and, and media outlets from the Netherlands, from France, from Spain, also ourselves, you know, ESPN, a US, you know, giant of a sports broadcaster. So th- this story is going global and it, and it, it is a fifth tier of English football. It, it's, it's, a, it's the non-league, basically. So that shows you how big a deal it's becoming. You know, it's, it's just, it's a really good story. I mean, I wouldn't normally do this level of football, but I'm really enjoying it because you can get access to the players. Everyone's genuine. People want to speak to you. There's no kind of cynicism or, you know, try to be kind of deceptive. It's, it's just it's just so honest and so open, which is great. And I think that is why it appeals to so many people. That it's just a refreshing sense of everyone's enjoying themselves. Augie, uh, back up in the Premier League, i got to ask you about Jesse Marsh. I think a lot of us were surprised when he turned down the Southampton job, and then you see him turn down another Premier League job in Leicester City. Obviously, you know, there was just eight games left. You can understand why he might have turned it down. 
but still, just generally, this idea that an American manager would turn down two Premier League jobs was pretty shocking to us here on this show, at least surprising to me. Uh, I wonder what the reaction yeah. has been to Jesse Marsh, you know, turning down not one, but two Premier League jobs. Well, I think there's two things on Jesse Marsh. First of all, he's very smart to turn those jobs down because both jobs are relegation jobs. So Southampton, they're, they're, they're going to get relegated. And Leicester, eight games to go. They haven't got a squad. They've got James Madison, and that's it. Because Jamie Vardy is great player as he's been. He, he hasn't got the legs to get around the pitch anymore. He can't score the goal. So why would Jesse Marsh go into Leicester and know that within eight games he could have a relegation in his CV? So it was a smart move on his part to say no. The flip side is that I don't think he did a great job at Leeds. I think he took over a job, a club that was headed for relegation. And they were pretty much relegated apart from one final day win at Brentford, which, you know, how much is that at Jesse Marsh? So, and then this season, they're in relegation trouble again. So he didn't have a great time at Leeds. And prior to that at Leipzig, he was sacked after six months. So what the appeal of Jesse Marsh is, I don't know to Leicester and Southampton, because I don't think he's done enough in the Premier League to, to earn that second job. But on his part, he's smart not to take it. Because if he takes one of these jobs, that will be his last job in the Premier League because he's going to get relegated. And you don't come back in the Premier League after almost getting relegated and getting relegated. So maybe he's wise to hold on. But I think I don't quite know what his appeal is to clubs in that position right now. I actually mentioned there would be the three strikes for Jesse Marsh and he's out if that did happen. Now, let's stay with Leeds real quick. Leeds look terrible. They look terrible with Jesse Marsh. They look worse without Jesse Marsh. Are they going to get relegated? And if they get relegated, what is going to happen to the American contingent? Well, I mean, the, th the thing with Leeds is I, I think you can blame Jesse Marsh for some of it because he was there for a year. But I think that problem's setting with Bielsa because they just couldn't defend. They, they were just left to play this ridiculously open football and Jesse came in and didn't have the personnel to change it. So you've got to the point now where th this squad has had three or four years of just, you know, crazy football, basically. It's not suited to the Premier League. Now, you know, I thought Weston McKenna would have come in and done, done a better job than he has. I think Tyler Adams has, you know, he's had a couple of injuries, but... It's difficult at least because you're playing for a team that can't defend. So uh, if you're in that team trying to defend, it's impossible. So they got hammered by Liverpool the week. And I think Leeds are one of those teams. Leeds, Everton, you know, Forest. It's one of those teams that get relegated. And it's, it's a case of which one can pick up the wins they need. But I worry for Leeds because if they do get relegated, then I don't think any of the Americans stay. Why would they? I think Tyler Adams will get a move. I think he's had a good a good time there. But Kenny will go back to Juventus, I'd imagine, or certainly a club in Europe. And I think Aronson is not done great for Leeds this year, but I don't think he'll drop into the championship. So, and then you've got the owners as well. You know, the the, the 49ers group, which obviously own the San Francisco 49ers. It's going to be tough for them to, you know, to be in the championship where there's, the money drops off a cliff. So, you know, big times ahead for Leeds. And I think I'd be really, really worried if I was part of that club. Mm. Uh, you mentioned Adams and his injuries and those goals getting shipped. I think there's there's probably a link there between those two. One more player I got to ask you about, Augie. It's a player we always ask you about, but Christian Pulisic. And it's kind of the same question every time. Things have changed at Chelsea. What does it mean for Christian Pulisic? Like this time around, does Frank Lampard coming in, Graham Potter moving on, have any impact on his potential future at the club? I don't think he does, to be honest. I, I, obviously, Lampard is just passing through, you know, He's a caretaker and he ain't going to be longer than that as he's looking at the way results are going. I think, that, as it is right now, they might want to sack the caretaker and bring a firefighter in because it's a mess. But <laughs> the situation with Pulisic is he's basically reliant on who comes in, isn't it? I mean, there are so many different contrasting styles of coach that they're looking at that 
you know, it could be Luis Enrique, it could be Julian Nagelsmann, it could be Pochettino, it could be Luciano Spalletti, it could be Carlo Ancelotti, it could be Ruben Amorim at Sports in Lisbon. You know, all of these guys have different philosophies and I guess different outlooks on the game. So for Pulisic, I mean, listen, if I was Christian Pulisic, I'd be looking to get a move right now because he's had he's had so many coaches at Chelsea, so much upheaval. They're not in the Champions League next year, they're not in Europe next year. So you might find that this is a good time to move on and play for a club that's in one of the European competitions because the summer at Chelsea is going to be brutal. There's going to be, you know, they've got 33 first-team players. So they're probably going to lose at least eight or nine. And it probably would do him a favour to get going because they brought in Mudrick, they brought in, you know, who knows, knows what will happen with Joao Felix, I imagine he'll go back. But they've got a lot of attacking players and he's probably sixth or seventh and down the list now because he came so long ago. So I think for the sake of his career, he needs to move on because... Chelsea at the moment are a club in a mess. The, the club that could be anything next season. So Pulisic needs to go and, and, and rebuild his career elsewhere. So I think I think he's too good to be wanting to play for three or four games because it just depends on the managers. But I don't think whoever it is will give Christian, Christian Pulisic the games he wants. So I'd move on. And there are good options in the Premier League. You know, you know, there's Aston Villa, there's there's Newcastle that have always been quite keen. Clubs in Europe, like, I think the league would suit him. But I think you'll get a decent move this summer, Christian Pulisic. Augie, very quickly, right, 20 seconds. Give me the team you want to see him in the Premier League. What would he make the most sense? Oh, I think he'd be good at Aston Villa. I think Unai Emery is a good coach, a, a smart coach. He'd get the best out of him. So if Aston Villa have got the ambition to get him, I think it'd be a good move for him, a club on the up. There it is. Christian Pulisic to Aston Villa. I like it from Mark Ogden. You can read his work uh, on the website. Augie, when's your next trip to Wrexham? <laughs> Saturday. <laughs> There it is. All right. So we'll look forward. Yeah. Look forward to uh, yeah, to more coverage there of, <laughs> of uh, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney's good work. Thanks a lot, Augie. Good to have you on the show. Cheers, guys. So Augie will be a Wrexham on Saturday. It means he's he's missing Manchester City, Sheffield United, and the FA Cup semifinals probably. But you can watch it live here on ESPN Plus. Could we have a Manchester derby in the final? Manchester United against Brighton. That on Sunday in the second FA Cup semifinal. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results. Fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any 8-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. 
Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. USA and Mexico are combining on a bid to host the 2027 Women's World Cup. The U.S., of course, last hosting the Women's World Cup back in 2003. The competition, South Africa, as well as a bid between Belgium, Germany, and the Netherlands, potentially Brazil as well. A combined bid between the U.S. and Mexico for the 2027 Women's World Cup. Herc, are you cool with it? Yes, absolutely. Um, obviously, Canada just hosted a World Cup not too long ago, 2015, so they're not going to be in the mix here. And the World Cup's four years away. This isn't down the road. This isn't a decade or so later. This is the next World Cup. There are a few countries equipped around the world to be able to handle a tournament in four years' time. And guess what? The United mm-hmm. States is one of them. And if you include Mexico, which is already preparing a men's World Cup in 2026, so they'll have the stadium, the infrastructure, and whatnot, it just makes sense. Obviously, this is also enticed by the growing of the game in Mexico and how well Liga Mekis Femenil has done and caught the eye of a foreign uh, investment, uh, attraction, if you will, and the growth of NWSL. So this just makes sense for me. It's funny you mentioned Canada and the fact that they hosted the World Cup in 2015. You would think they'd be cool with missing out, but it doesn't sound like it. The Canadian Federation, in a statement, kind of came off a little bit bitter that they were not part of the convo, but they have their own mess. They've just had a president and a general secretary step down. So uh, you can understand maybe why U.S. soccer and the Mexican Federation said, we'll pass on working with Canada. Herc, if this all lines up, what we're looking at is five straight summers of major international tournaments, baby. Give it to us, Are you kidding me? Give it to this us, is Seb. going to be massive. So you got 2024, you got Copa America. 2025, you've got what will be effectively the Confederations Cup, right? A dry run for the World Cup. You got the World Cup in 26. You got the Women's World Cup in 27. And don't forget, we got the Olympics coming here in 2028. If you thought 1994, one summer was big for the sport in this country, Herc, what will five straight summers do to soccer in the United States? If we only had a show that spoke about these things. Mm, mm. I know they're always saying when, when, when is... When is soccer going to catch hockey? When is soccer going to catch whatever the next what? thing is? What? Ha- who? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Baseball's next. Huh? And after, if, if you get five straight years of tournaments like this, soccer's coming for baseball. I know you love the Dodgers out there, but... I do love Los Doyers. I'll leave it. Speaking of out there in Los Angeles, the Gold Cup draw was out in L.A. You, being the intrepid journalist reporter that you are, were there. And you got a couple interviews. One of them was with John Herdman, the manager of the Canadian national team, one of your personal favorites. So let's listen in to that oh, chat. Canada. Take me back to the World Cup. I know hindsight is 2020, but is there anything you regret at the World Cup? Oh, probably not spending enough time with my family. <laughs> <laughs> How about, for example, the Croatia comments to the, about the Croatian team? You think that might have fired them up? Oh, I think they probably have fired them up. I mean, that's if you're going to regret those things, yeah, you got to say as a coach, you come out of a huddle hot and then you're speaking to your flash interview. But I think either way, our performances were, were things we could be proud of. I mean, we had a really difficult group 
And when you look at uh, that Croatian team, you realise you're actually competing against Modric. That's when, when you're on the sideline and you're watching how that team unfolds and who's making the decisions. It was... Uh, you see that there is a different level. You're dealing with a coach on the side and you're dealing with an absolute genius on the pitch. So for me, you know, you, you look at all aspects of the learnings, but all of what we achieved there was a pride for our country. First time in 36 years. Two semi-finalists in that group. A ridiculous. Morocco and, and Croatia. Let's go Nations League semi-final. USA versus Mexico. Um, I don't want to say you dodged a bullet because you guys are very good in your own right, but that's obviously you, you, you miss or you evade two very strong contenders. Uh, I don't want you to look too far ahead, but your overall thoughts on that matchup? Yeah, I think you've got to get through those, those teams first. Whenever you play those Central American teams, they just bring a level of grittiness that is tough, so I just cannot look beyond that first game, the second game, the third game. We can see that the US or Jamaica are a potential in that crossover, but I think they've got tough groups themselves. They've got their own their own challenges. So I think what I've seen with the Gold Cup, it does throw up some, uh, some surprises. I just want to make sure Canada aren't that surprised. We've got to take care of business, game one in Toronto, and enjoy playing at home in a Gold Cup. No regrets for John Herdman, Herc. Is there anything less surprising than that? Uh, no. I mean, look, he's not wrong. When you look mm -hmm. at the other side and you see the pedigree of the Croatian players and there's a Luka Modric on the field, you're not just dealing with the head coach and how he can move the chess pieces. Mm -hmm. Now you're dealing with somebody who is, a, in his own right, uh, a head coach within the field and how that happens. It's interesting because there was a part of the interview where I asked him to name the best player in CONCACAF. I asked him specifically, and I thought he was going to give me the usual, the special, the house special. It's Alfonso mm. Davies, right? That's what everybody would probably say. It's Alfonso Davies. And then when he kind of said, no, it's not Alfonso Davies, I thought that go-to was going to be Jonathan David. He didn't say Jonathan David. Do you know who he said, Seb? Who? He said Estacchio. Stephen Estacchio. That to me is... Interesting. It's interesting because of how high he rates the player, and also interesting because I wouldn't have put him in my top five. All right, you do love you do love Ostakia, don't you? No, I wouldn't. All, you, no, you don't put him in your top five, but you you you've always complimented the player. You think sure. he's a good good player. All right, so uh, Canada and John Herdman there, one of uh, a few interviews that Herc got. Next time we'll uh, we'll get a little bit more of it. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. 
and boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Let's turn our attention to the U.S. Women's National Team, Herc. 90-some days to the World Cup, still waiting on the health of Katerina Macario. You'll remember uh, she tore her ACL last June. This is what she had to say about her health to CBS Sports. Quote, so far, so good. At some point, I think it's just going to be the fact that Vladko is going to have to trust me and knowing that if I say I'm ready, I'm ready. All right, Herc. In the production meeting, we didn't know what to label this. You said it was definitely a get lost. Why? It's a get lost. You don't say you're ready with the national team. You show that you're ready with the national team. Especially if you're not one of the players on the national team. And what I mean by that is she's not an Alex Morgan. She doesn't have the curriculum or the water under the bridge like a Megan Rapinoe. When you're a young player trying to make a name for yourself on the world stage, in a World Cup, and you're coming from a legit injury, an ACL tear like she is, you don't say it, you show it. And you can't just ask a coach to trust you. Take my word for it. They need to see you because somebody else Somebody else, you being there means somebody else will not be there. Somebody else who may be healthy. Somebody else who may be able to give them something because they are ready. The messaging on this from Vladko Anonofsky has been very clear, both overall and specifically about Macario. A couple weeks ago, he said she needs competitive minutes just to really be considered for a spot on this team. And then externally, what we've been told time and time again is that your club form her is what is going to dictate your ticket into the U.S. women's national team. There's the obvious exception of Julie Ertz, but to your point, she has a curriculum that Katarina Macario does not. The one ticket back here and what seems to be brewing under the surface of all of this is a potential move. Of course, she's with Leon right now. Their season's wrapping up pretty soon. As we mentioned with Ertz, there's still a lot of games in the NWSL before they take their break for the World Cup. So potentially an NWSL loan could be the way back into the national team for her. Because to me, this is this is pretty clear that this is a message back to Vladko based off what he has been saying in the public space. He's saying, you've got to prove it to me. She's saying, I don't know if I have time. She may not have time, but she's got something up her sleeve. It's Mallory Swanson and that injury. So that mm -hmm. buys her a bit of time because Vladko's grasping a straw is trying to find the replacement for that. And if he can't, he's already made it known. Somebody yeah. else's 70, 80, maybe 90% could be better than your 100. And that's going to be good enough. Yeah. If the need is there, uh, you'll definitely take a look at the player. We got some NWSL news actually out of Kansas City, Herc. The KC Current have fired their manager, Matt Potter, just three games into the season. In a statement, the team citing, quote, issues around his leadership and employment responsibilities, end quote. Kansas City 0-3 so far this season. Assistant Carolyn Schoblum takes over on an interim basis in case anyone was wondering and didn't remember. This is the team I picked to win it all in the NWSL. Makes I'm not sense. saying it's a jinx. I'm Makes not saying sense, it's a curse. Makes sense. I'm just saying. NWSL Challenge Cup, uh, match day one on Wednesday night. San Diego beats Portland 
OL Reign beats Angel City. Kansas City getting that uh, bump right there. They beat the Houston Dash 2-0. Gotham over Washington. Orlando and the North Carolina Courage playing to a 1-1 draw. That was the slate in the NWSL from Wednesday. What about the slate this weekend here on ESPN Plus? And I'm telling you, Herc, some absolute beauties. As we mentioned, FA Cup semifinals on ESPN Plus this weekend. We, of course, have action out of Spain, Germany, the Netherlands as well. And looking at that schedule, Herc, mm, there are some very, very exciting games. Some games you might want to make even more exciting. So... Time for the next edition of Book It here on Football Americas. From the games we're going to see on ESPN+, Plus, give me one of your perfect parlays. I'm going with an all-Mexican affair. That is Ajax versus PSV. Uh, both teams are eight points away from Feyenoord, who is in first place. So this is an absolute must-win for these teams if you have any aspirations of a league title. Jorge Sanchez, Edson Alvarez taking on Guti. Eddie Gutierrez, I'm going Ajax Moneyline here. Uh, and what you need to do is you need to have an over a 5.5 PK, so you need or, sorry, corner kicks. So six corner kicks at least for mm-hmm. Ajax. Both teams to score. The both teams to score market should absolutely hit. These are two of the highest goal scoring teams in the league. But Ajax has got a defensive element to them. Ajax is actually the best defensive team in the league. Here's the thing with Ajax, though. They're very good going forward, best in the league. They've got seven players, seven players with seven or more goals on their squad. You even saw Jorge Sanchez scoring last week along with his assist. They've got three players with 11 goals already on the season. Both teams have not lost since January. A tie does neither any good. I'm liking this, and plus... Plus 700 for the payout in this parlay. I'm all about it. Plus 700. That's what jumps off the screen. That's PSVIX. That is Sunday morning here on ESPN+. I've got the programmer's dream, Herc. Okay, that's my parlay right now. So we got Manchester City in the FA Cup on Saturday. They're playing Sheffield United out of the championship. I mean, Manchester City, massive, huge, overwhelming favorite. That game starts 11.45 a.m. Eastern time. So we're taking City money line, right? A safe way to start the parlay. Then at 12.30 Eastern time, right? So 45 minutes after Man City starts against Sheffield United, we go to the Bundesliga, where we got Dortmund against Eintracht Frankfurt. I'm taking the over two and a half goals. Maybe we'll get some help there from somebody like Gio Reyna. Maybe we'll get some help there from somebody like Paxton Aronson. Reasons to watch. So we got the over two and a half Bundesliga tilt between Dortmund and Frankfurt. Then you get through Saturday. Everything covers. Why are you going to come back Sunday? Ajax PSV. Whatever you want to say about Ajax defense, I see goals in this game. I see lots of them. To your point about the Mexican internationals, plenty of reasons to watch. We got Edson, we got Jorge Sanchez, we got Guti, and these two teams usually do produce goals. I'm taking the over two and a half there. So you combine all that, it's not plus 700, it's plus 157. But you got a real good chance of making it to Sunday morning with a sweat, and that's what we're looking for. What do you think? Woo! You're going for some goals. I see it in City winning. There will always be goals Mm -hmm. there. I'm digging my plus 700 a little more. Okay. All right. We'll see. Uh, We'll see whose financial advice gets you further. All right. That'll do it for this edition of Football Americas. Why don't you show us that beautiful shirt, Herc, before we get out of here? You already know it's a beautiful shirt. Why don't you show me where you work? 
<laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Remember these jackets? They gave it. They gave us these jackets when we went to Russia. I, I don't think we wore them once. Well, that's so. because it was like 130 degrees right in now. Russia, and they gave yep. us those jackets. I don't get it. But by, by the way, you criticize me. I love Mother Earth. Shout out to Earth Week. We will be back on Monday, and Tab Ramos, who's managing now in the USL with Hartford Athletic. Uh, we'll be by for a live interview. Of course, they're in the Open Cup as well. I believe they got the New England Revolution next week, so lots to talk about. Bruce versus him. Tab? Ooh! And that is the magic of the Open Cup. All right, that'll do it for us here. We'll see you on Monday. He's Herc. I'm Seb. Thanks for watching. Bye, Seb.